from the Los Angeles Times, this is The Envelope, the podcast, your ultimate guide to award season. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Olson. And I'm your other host, Yvonne Villarreal. Every week, our podcast showcases key voices across both TV and film. You're up this week, Yvonne. Who are you talking to? Well, today I've got two fabulous guests on the pod, Linda Cardellini and Christina Applegate. And they talked to me about playing two pals named Judy and Jen on the Netflix show Dead to Me. This was written by women, directed by women, with the exception of Abe, and really exploring all of our real best friends and friendships. With, of course, this very extraordinary circumstances around them. Lies and dead people and (laughs) and all of the kind of craziness that we go through. At the heart of it is a true friendship. And that's what... I think is so beautiful about the show. Look, as somebody who spent last night, like on three separate FaceTime phone calls, checking in with friends, like just to have like vent sessions or like crying sessions or, oh my God, I found out this about my ex sessions. Like, I can't say enough how much friendship has helped me get through the pandemic. So I'm really glad we have this ode to friendship on our podcast today. Mark, one of these days I'm going to FaceTime you. I'm on uh, Android. (laughs) But also, I like that they, you feel like they both have kind of been through so much in the industry together. When I think about Linda Cardellini, I think about Freaks and Geeks, which just started streaming on Hulu. She made that, you know, much earlier in her career. And then Christina, of course, from Married with Children. You feel like both of these women have, like, been through some things in their careers. Oh, for sure. You know, when I've talked to them a few times together, and you really do, I I know it comes across in the podcast, like, you really do get a sense that they've known each other, even though working on the show was the first time they worked together. But I think because they come from somewhat not similar backgrounds, but they have a similar um, entry into Hollywood. They really sort of feel like they have known each other for a long time. So I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Yvonne, we'll, we'll get to your conversation with Linda and Christina in just a couple of minutes. COVID-19 is moving fast, and so are LA Times journalists. Our job is to separate fact from fiction because you also help spread the truth when you are informed. Because in a society where we all have to stand six feet apart, the LA Times is our connection. It's become our community. We're going to be here giving you information to offer a little bit of clarity. Stay safe. Be informed. Take care of one another. We'll get through this. Subscribe at latimes.com. Before we hear Yvonne talking to Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini about Dead to Me, let's pass the mic over to our fearless awards expert, Glenn Whip. Hey, it's February. Normally, that means the Oscars are almost here and we'd be talking about who's going to win and all the drama. But this year, with the Oscars postponed to late April, what it means is we're just getting started. We now have nominations from the Golden Globes, the Spirit Awards, American Film Institute, National Board of Review. In the coming days, we're going to have the guilds weighing in. And we'll get into all that soon enough. But right now in this early going, one movie and particularly one performance has broken through. And that is Sound of Metal. 
It's on Amazon Prime right now. You can watch it there. And it's the story of this heavy metal drummer coping with the loss of his hearing. It stars the great Riz Ahmed, who had to learn how to play the drums. He had to learn American Sign Language. He had to work with a personal trainer. And then he had to dive into all these deep, dark emotions that his character is going through. It's, it's a remarkable performance. And it's been widely assumed, and probably correctly so, that Chadwick Boseman is the heavy favorite for the lead actor Oscar this year for his final performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But if there's one person right now in this early going who could pull off an upset, I think it's Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. We always appreciate that bit of awards news from you, Glenn. And now, without further ado, here's Yvonne's talk with Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini. And just a heads up, we sort of get right into things for this podcast because the first maybe five or ten minutes of our conversation, there was a bit of Wi-Fi problems. And rather than having you guys hear us say, can you hear me? Can you hear me? We're just going to get right into the first question where we could actually hear each other. So here it is. Well, this season, Jen and Judy sort of really hold a mirror to each other, for better or worse. But this season in particular, like, they're they're both sort of in the same position. Both are responsible for a murder. Both are sort of helping each other cover it up. What did you sort of enjoy about where season two went with these two characters? You know, it was it was challenging because the first season dealt so much with uncovering grief and reflecting on pain and the messy ways in which we deal with it. And the second season was, um, Jen has, is the one with the secret, you know, and she's done something unbelievably horrific. And to try to balance that without it it being in the forefront and, um, keeping the secret from her best friend was hard, like a hard place to, 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 to balance, performance-wise, but like that feeling of, I think it happens in episode nine when she feels like she's going to go to jail and she's going to leave her children. That's something that she's been feeling from episode one, you know? And yet we don't see Mm -hmm. that pain until nine. So holding all that stuff underneath all these layers of lies and and fear and all of that was was hard. (laughs) But... (laughs) Well, what about for you, Linda, to see the way that sort of Jen rubbed off on Judy this season? For me, the first season is very much what Christina explains, you know, for for Jen. And then the shoes in the second season and the shoes on the other foot for me in the second season. So coming into season two, wondering what that was going to be like, because the first season I carried so much and sort of knew what I was orchestrating. And in the second season, things just keep happening to Judy and Judy sort of just keeps getting hit by all these different waves. And by the time that we're in the garage and Jen tells me what really happened, my whole world has been destroyed in some ways because, well, in a lot of ways, because Steve, even though she shouldn't love him, she did. And he's gone. And then the person she trusts most turns out to be lying to her the entire time. And she thought that she was, you know, through that piece of her life where she was sort of living honestly, at least with Jen. And so everything sort of breaks apart for her. So season two is 
it really tosses Judy around a lot. And then in the middle of it, she finds love. She has this ability to take a breath and to sort of breathe in something positive, but then have that dashed as well. So, you know, it, it, the season really rips Judy apart in a way that she didn't realize she could, <laughs> she could still be broken apart like that. And I really just credit the, the, the writing and Liz because they, they find new ways to turn things on its head. And just when you, just when we think, even as the actors, we know what's going to happen, something comes along that we have to play and we look at each other and go, Oh my God, how do we do this? Like a twin? Yeah, like a twin, like a twin. And then you, and then you see James play both so brilliantly. You're like, Oh, of course that makes sense. But it was like, at first we, you and I talked about like, <laughs> yeah. how are we going to pull yeah. that off? Right. Because. It, and it's all because James pulled it off. It was like, I didn't see Steve anymore. No, even when we were on set, we didn't see him anymore. <laughs> it was like we only saw Ben. And, and Ben was infinitely more likable. He was so good. The way he turned that, <laughs> so good. Well, the chemistry between you two is so crucial to all this working, to all this sort of feeling grounded. Like, talk about what's gone into sort of developing your dynamic two seasons in and and how, I guess, Linda, you could talk about this. Like, how would you say your own friendship with Christina helps you do your job better? Oh, I mean, it's it's everything. The trust that we have with each other in life and on screen, which just happened magically, kind of instantly for us, I'm so grateful for. It's just... Um, it's a gift in my real life and it's a gift in my professional life. It's just, I, I love when we're on set together. I really do. And I love it because I love Christina, you know, I, and it's also, she's incredibly talented and I couldn't even hope for a better partner. And it has, especially like the idea of playing these two characters to be like, you know, two women with such great and separate and layered and, and rich characters and then to be playing it with with Christina who is just she's so talented it makes it so much fun when we have to do the things we do even the terrible things even when they feel terrible after we you know after we're finished crying or, or hugging each other about the things we feel like we've accomplished something um that we didn't know we could do two minutes earlier when the scene when they called rolling and you know and so that to me is is I don't know. It's, you know, I love what I do. So it, it's a really, it's a gift. It's really a gift that we get to, that I get to work with you, Christina. And I, I feel like it's been such a wonderful ride and we find things together on set constantly that sort of like inform the characters all along the way. And Liz is always there too, right with us. And she just allows us to totally be ourselves. And then she also gives us incredible material. Thank you, babe, my friend, my love, my, my, you're, you're like my forever person now. I'm so incredibly lucky that I have you as um, not only just this extraordinary talent, it's mind-blowing to me, but I think that what infused it, we didn't have to develop it because we were protective of each other from day one as women, as friends. And when you feel protected, you feel safe enough to go to places that you need to go. And I feel like we protected each other on a personal level. And that that trust let us kind of be able to feel safe of where we had to be and where we had to go as characters, as people, because I'm very mm -hmm. protective of Linda and I would 
hurt anyone who ever hurt her. I would take them down with a ceramic bird. (laughs) I just hope you have a big freezer in your garage, Christina. It's, it's been really interesting to see the social media conversation around Jen and Judy. There is a lot of shipping happening for them. Some viewers want them to end up together in a romantic way. And it sort of speaks to um, the intimacy in their friendship and in their connection. Like, what's your take on exploring the sort of romance that exists in their friendship? And in any friendship, there is that element to most friendships. See, for me, I didn't understand why that was the takeaway. I, like, love my friends. And I would, like, let them cry in my lap. I would hold them close and dear. And that's, like, trust and love. And and that's what we're showing is, is literally a real female friendship. And when people take it and make it, something that it's not, not to say that that's not a a good thing in life. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, this is what women actually are like as friends. They're not always catty. And, and, And the way that female relationships are oftentimes portrayed in film and television has that element of cattiness that is written by people that maybe don't understand women all too much. But this was written by women, directed by women, with the exception of Abe, and really exploring all of our real best friends and friendships with, of course, this very extraordinary circumstances around them, you know, lies and dead people and (laughs) and all of the kind of craziness that we go through. At the heart of it is a true friendship. And that's what I think is so beautiful about Mm -hmm. the show. Yeah. Linda, do you want to add anything? I, you know, I think there is just an intimacy and friendship in general when it's very close. I think, you know, for Jen and Judy, they've gone through just nearly almost everything that you could possibly go through with a person. They have gone through it. And what would typically drive people apart, for whatever reason, bonds them together. And I think that is, when I first read the script, I thought, you know, is this going to work? Are people going to buy that they are friends that they can become best friends and you know I remember first season if I can if I can thinking if we can get people to root for them to be friends we've done this job because of what you know has actually transpired and the idea that people root for them love them want them to be together in any way shape or form I think is such a testament to the story that Liz is telling and this friendship that comes out of the most desperate of circumstances in a way. So I really enjoy seeing people think about it in all different ways. And, you know, I think it's really fun. I just love Jen and Judy together. Whenever we're together in scenes, when they write stuff for us, those are my favorite things to do and to play. And, you know, Christine and I just end up saying ridiculous things to each other. And some of them make some of them make it on screen and some of them don't. Well, okay, you lead me to my next uh, point. I spoke with Liz Feldman, the creator and showrunner of the series ahead of the season two launch. And she floored me when she revealed one of the most epic exchanges in the season was improvised. And that exchange, I mean, listeners might want to turn this part down if you have kids listening, but When Jen said, eat my fucking butthole, Judy, and you responded with, I would, but I'm seeing somebody, like, (laughs) I died. Can you recall um, this whole thing taking place? Oh, absolutely. It's one of my clearest memories about the season. It was was the one time that I made Linda laugh, like, legit, 
like you broke for the first time ever. And I don't know why it came out of my mouth. And then Liz was like, oh, no, we can't use that. But let's do another take of it with like that, because I don't know where it came from my mind. But I look back and Linda's like almost on the floor laughing so funny. So hard. <laughs> well, I begged too. I said, please, you've got to keep it in there. You got to keep it in there because it's literally some of the stuff that like you say crazy stuff to your friends. And that stuff doesn't necessarily make it on screen, especially in female friendships sometimes on screen. And it just it cracked me up and made me think of of laughing, you know, like like a school kid with my friends. Uh, and, you know, we all just were laughing till we were crying and we just kept improving and kept doing it. And it just it, uh, yeah, it turned into a little bit of a, of a saying on set for us. It, it was. And then I remember Liz calling me and she's like, okay, it's official. It, it made it into the cut. Like, it's going to happen. <laughs> and I was like, yes, because it was just the stupidest. Like, we, we had so much fun in that moment. It was just, it yeah. was great. We really fight for the things that are important. <laughs> like saying, eat my fucking butthole, Judy. It's just, I mean, it needs to be on a shirt at this point. But how, I mean, how crucial is it like learning each other's rhythms like to achieve a moment like that? The best part is that that stuff just comes naturally to us. (laughs) May that be the best and the the worst part about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. There have not been uh, that many opportunities that I've had, especially in comedy, to just improv with another woman that long and on that you know with characters that are so well defined and so so in their own right you know I just it's just that's really fun and when we get to talk over each other and and you know and everybody's game on set it's not just Christina and I you know it's James it's Natalie it's it's just it's fun it's really fun and the great thing is is that Liz really knows what's funny and what what works so we could say whatever (laughs) we were feeling and she'll keep it within the range of, of you know, where she wants the show to be and, and go and within the tone. So it it's, um, you know, the first season we were really trying to figure out, like, what is the, t- the tone of this sometimes, you know? Because as an actor on a page, when you read it, it's very different than when you get into, into production. And by the second season, you know, we are, we're pretty clear on that. So there's a lot more uh, exploring to do within that. Well, those scenes also, like, create a balance to a lot of the more sobering moments. And, you know, there was a powerful scene which you guys touched on where, you know, Jen says some vile things about Judy, like the worst things Judy's probably already thinking about herself, like Jen is saying to her, like you love anyone who basically gives you attention, even if they're abusive. And, you know, there's that moment where Judy gets in her car and she sort of lets out that primal scream and she's punching herself. What is the experience of filming scenes like that together? Like allowing yourself to be vulnerable and going to those kinds of places with each other. That scene was so incredibly personal to Linda and myself that I forgot that there were people around us. I mean, I know how it made me feel. I know how it made Linda feel. And and we really kind of had to protect each other when they would say cut because it was like all our layers were off. But I just remember talking to her and and I was doing something with my hand and my hand was literally like shaking and I couldn't um, make it stop shaking because the stuff that was happening inside of both of us was so 
frightening and 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 tribal and raw and it was really one of those things and then they say cut and then you got to go fix the makeup and get back to the top of the scene so i was remember those two days cuz we shot part of it outside somewhere and then part inside um mm-hmm. was one of the harder harder scenes for I, I think for if i can speak for you i mean I can't speak for you, my babe, my friend. It was really draining. Yeah, and it's towards the end of the season, too. You know, it's towards the end of the shoot, too. So, you know, not to take ourselves too seriously, but, you know, it's it's a lot of heavy stuff on top of funny stuff, which makes the funny stuff, like when somebody says something like what we were talking about on set, makes that even more, you just want to relish it even more. And, it you you know, it's like laughing in church. It's like it's been so serious. And then finally you have this, like, unleashing of, like, all of this sort of emotions and levity. But those scenes were were as brutal as it gets for the show. The thing I love about the show is the characters are so rich that they put us through the ringer nearly every episode. You know, I always say like on other shows, you have these days where you have, you know, like, I don't know, you ride on a bus and you, you know, stop at the bus stop. And there's these like days where you have just where you don't do a lot. You don't do a lot of emoting. You just sort of do some ABC stuff. And we don't ever get those days on set. And typically we're on set most of the time all day, every day. And so at the end of the season, to have those scenes, which you've been sort of building up for, but at the same time, you you know how important they are to the, to the arc of the show. The wonderful thing is that we can't think about any of that when we're doing it. And, you know, the lucky thing is that it does feel incredibly <laughs> real when we're doing it. And at the same time, that's also the hard thing. But I feel like, you know, that's really what, what you're, you know, when... You love doing what you do. I think that's what you're looking for is to have those feeling and those moments of, of, of being really in it. It just turns out that they're incredibly painful at the time and exhausting. But, you know, I'm really grateful for how they wrote that because typically, uh, you'll see one person have that moment in a scene. And I think what was really great about the, the way that, that the show is constructed is you see Jen and Judy who are totally different. They're not hitting the same notes ever at the same time. Have those moments together in the same space. Those moments of explosion and revelation and, you know, everything falling apart. They're having those moments simultaneously, which generally in my experience, they're usually given to one character or another. And that Jen and Judy do those things together, I think just is, is, I don't know, it's exemplary of the bond that they've created for these characters. Does that make sense? I don't know. No, it does. (laughs) A perfect glass of wine makes all the difference. And the LA Times Wine Club, powered by First Leaf, can deliver that and more right to your front door. All you have to do is take a short quiz to determine your preferences. Then six bottles of award-winning wine personalized to your taste will be shipped directly to you. You'll get six bottles of wine for only $39.95, plus free shipping. Sign up today at latimes.wine slash podcast. Another storyline that that or moment that really resonated with viewers was this season Judy develops a relationship with the daughter of a patient at the nursing home she works at. Uh, the character Michelle is played by Natalie Morales. And there's like 
no big discussion about it. And that was sort of refreshing this idea of just somebody living their life and being attracted to somebody and going for it without this sort of dissection of what does this mean? What is your label? How do you feel about like, how did you feel about tackling a relationship in this way? And did you and Liz sort of have discussions about this approach? I thought, I don't know. I just think it's great. I mean, I have, you know, friends where when they date somebody, you don't question why or how or what, you know, you just know them. And I think, you know, Jen and Judy know each other. They really know each other, perhaps more than the audience knows us. You know, I think Judy's always looking for somebody. She's always looking for love in anybody and literally anything. I mean, she'll look for it in an object if she can. But when Natalie comes around, I think, you know, Michelle, it's so easy to love her. And then, and then Michelle loves her back in a way that is really true and, and kind and honest. And it's such a, a nice moment for Judy. And it feels so natural for them to, to like each other because why wouldn't they? I mean, it's so easy. Natalie is so s- smart and funny and, you know, beautiful and kind and all of those things that it just, it was, absolutely easy. And then, come on, bringing Deanna, I mean, you know, Detective Perez into the mix is just, when I saw that twist, because I didn't know that was coming when I, and when we, when we read that, and then even the way that they, that they do it in the show with the music and the music, I mean, it, it's so juicy. I love it. I love it so much. And the relationship is really a breath of fresh air. And I feel like people are, are, are rooting for it. And at the same time, know that it can't happen. So I think it's, I think it was nice for Judy to sort of have a moment to breathe and to feel like what life could like, but that it could be like, but that also makes it the most tragic because she really can't have anything open and honest. It was really good. Well, we can't not talk about Katie Seagal. Christina, she played Peggy Bundy, your mother on Married with Children. In Dead to Me, she's playing Judy's imprisoned mother. Um, And Christina, you had no scenes with her, which, you know, would have made so many of us happy. But was that strategic? And like, how involved were you with getting her to do the series? They came up with the idea of Katie doing it on their own. I mean, that was the only thing that I was asked to do was to like kind of nudge her to to do it. But the funny thing is, I didn't have to. I texted her and she was like, oh, no, I'm doing it. She was like, no, no, no. What are you talking? Why are you? You don't even need to call me. Like, I already told them, like. It's done. Let's go. And she's just the most perfect person for it because Katie's soul is so deep and it's so rich. And she's, Katie herself has lived such an extraordinary life. And all of that she can tap into. And, and, and I mean, she's just a brilliant human being, but she's a brilliant actress. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're absolutely, we trust that those scenes are going to be incredibly layered and incredibly powerful. Of course, because Linda's extraordinary, you needed someone who was going to be able to match that. And it's a no-brainer. Was it intimidating, Linda? I was excited. I was really excited. And, you know, Christina yeah. had told me how wonderful she was. And and I've always been a fan. So I was I was really excited. And then we were texting Christina on set, you know, hi, you know, you know just kind of, we sent a picture of ourselves to her because um, Christina wasn't on that day. But no, I love her. And, and I think that she's so important to Judy's story. And she comes in at a moment where you're not, you're least expecting her. And she gives texture to Judy's past. And it sort of explains a lot about Judy without actually saying everything. 
I'm so happy that she was able to join us because it was just such a gift. And she has, she has this quality about her that brings this sort of subtext and this history to the character. So you feel like you've seen all these things happen off screen that haven't necessarily even happened on screen. Her performance is, is very rich. And I think that Judy needs that so that you sort of understand who she is. Well, we know that the series is returning for a third and final season. And Liz tweeted that she pitched all of season three to Netflix and that she couldn't believe they were letting her tell the story that she wants to tell. And I assume you guys know what that pitch was, at least on some level. And I know you won't tell me what the end game is here, (laughs) but what can you say about how you reacted to what she's come up with? Christina, can you give me a sense of like what you were feeling? It's so powerful and it's exactly the way it should be. And I think that's kind of all I can say about that. In fact, I was talking to her before we did our table. We did a table read of two episodes um, recently. And I was like, so what's what's Jen going through this this season? And what's Judy going? You know, I was just asking, like, you know, what's the interim? And she says, I'm not going to tell you. So she won't even let me know stuff. I know nothing. She's like, I, I don't want to tell you. And I was like, that's horrible. You're a, you're a mean lady. <laughs> so I don't get to know for like a few months, like what's going on. Yeah, I, t- I typically know more at this point. You do know more. No, no, I typically do know more, but I don't know that much this season. I know like a few, We I think you and I know the same like basic things. I don't know many of the details, which last season and even the season before, like I I was always prodding for the details and getting answers. But this this season, I think we're in for, um, I think you and I are actually in for surprises. I honestly, I only know what we read in those first two episodes. And then uh, that's it. I don't know anything else. Yeah. And they're written too, for the most part, I think. They're there. How are you feeling about the thought of returning to the set in the middle of a pandemic? Like, obviously, there are safety protocols in place to ensure that you guys are as safe as possible. But it's still such a a weird thing, I would imagine. How are you feeling about it? You know, I'm a little freaked about it. But I know that, you know, we've had a lot of meetings about the protocol and how, you know, because the actors are the ones without masks. So I like to call mm-hmm. us the sitting ducks, but it's the way they're, they have it laid out. It's pretty incredible, but it's still, it's a weird, it's just a weird thing. I don't know, Lynn. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you have to take things day by day nowadays. I think everybody's trying the best they can to do the best they can. And then you cross your fingers, you know? You also experienced your first awards show that went digital, which was the Emmys. Was that the weirdest thing ever? Christina, I feel like you have a story. I will. Yeah, because, well, first of all, I'm not I don't like this is just me and it's not being ungrateful. I don't like getting into hair and makeup and gown fittings and all of that like is really not my jam. So for me, that was like the best Emmys that ever happened because I was literally in my dead to me sweatpants. No one saw them, but I was like in sweatpants and was so happy to like be home and not in heels. I had bare feet. I don't even know if I showered. I'm not really certain, but I just was like, this is the best Emmys that's ever happened. And I'm so sad. It's because of this horrible, tragic thing that's happened to our world. But for me, I was like super down with being on the computer. Except what happened was right before they announced the winner in our category, 
or right when they announced it, my internet went out and people thought that I got pissed and turned off my computer. (laughs) And I literally am in my living room with like one friend and I'm screaming, no, 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 this can't be happening. I want to cheer for Catherine. I want to cheer for Catherine. And um, yeah, I had heard people were like, oh, she just was like, I guess I'm done. And I was like, no, I I live in the canyon. (laughs) My internet went out literally at that moment. You're so lucky that the audio of no, no, this can't be happening didn't accompany me. (laughs) That headshot or that would have been horrible. That headshot that they put up, right? Didn't they put it? That was a beautiful headshot. Yeah, I was younger. That's amazing. Yeah, I almost didn't make it on the thing because my internet wasn't working. I was sweating in a robe and then just <laughs> threw that dress on at the last minute because I couldn't figure out uh, how to get my internet to work. Wi-Fi is really like the person of the year. Was it really a guy in a hazmat suit like waiting outside your respective places? That must have been so bizarre. Mine was a girl and she we just took a picture outside of just putting the loser thing above both of our heads. And I, and I brought my, my Emmy that I'd won like a long time ago and I had it in my hands just for fun. <laughs> I love it. Well, ladies, this is a time where we're all watching a lot of things. And I'm just curious, like, what's what are you watching? What's the last great thing that you watch that you would recommend to others? I'll be really quick on this one. I watch cooking shows and Below Deck. That's it. Below Deck is so epic. I've watched every single episode of every single franchise of that show And now that I have to wait till Mondays because I'm caught up, I'm really upset. They need to do a celebrity edition so you could charter a yacht, Christina. And I want to see that episode. I would like to be the chief stew. That's what she makes us call her on set, by the way. Okay. (laughs) That could happen. Sure. Here comes chief stew. (laughs) Chief stew. Linda, what are you watching? I have never seen that show, but now I will watch it. I am doing The Crown. A mid-second season. I never, I didn't do it when it first came out, so now I'm doing that. I want to, like, remember what it was like being sort of new to the show. I'm just so, so jealous for you, and I can't wait till you get caught up to where we're at this season, because it'll just, the Google rabbit hole. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, thank God uh, I have some television to watch. It's a nice escape from, from, uh, from all of the, the sadness. Yvonne, what, what stood out for you most talking to these two ladies? I, I have to say, I really enjoyed hearing Christina talk about her experiences with the digital Emmys because it was definitely felt different to watch. And so it was interesting to me to hear that it was much different to experience from their side of the table as well. Oh, yeah. Like I could have spent a whole other 30 minutes just talking to them about what that experience is like. Because I know for me, I was in my apartment and I was struggling with how to cover the awards this way. And I was on the phone with one of the nominees trying to keep track of their experience of the night. And I really wish I could have been a fly on the wall, like with one of the nominees, like actually be there watching them go through this. But so hearing Christina talk about this bizarre feeling of having someone in a hazmat suit outside of your place, just like waiting to either give you an award or not, was really fun. So Christina said she's watching cooking shows and Below Deck, and Linda has been watching The Crown. What about you, Yvonne? Have you watched anything new this week? Well, we're sort of in the middle of Sundance, and one of the films I watched was the Rita Moreno documentary, which is really good. It doesn't have a premiere date yet. It's part of the PBS American Masters series. 
but I highly recommend people watch that when it does come out. I'm a little embarrassed to say this, Mark, because I already know you're going to give me a look. But I was, for a reason I won't share, I was having to go through some photos, trying to find a specific photo. And I came across photos of my old room during my teenage years. And it made me want to watch Boy Band Con on YouTube. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not giving you a look. I'm just asking you, what is Boy Band Con? It's, it's the documentary. I think like Lance Bass was behind it. And it's about, you know, the, the boy band con artist, Mr. Lou Perlman, like the disgraced manager of all the boy bands like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. And it was just like so weird to go down memory lane. I actually brought, I'm showing Mark a photo of my room. <laughs> there are a lot of posters of boy bands on the wall of a room. You can't even see, this is supposed to be my window. And there's no, barely any window there. Anyway, so I watched that. But I've also, you know, I had a lot of friends tell me I should get to watching I Hate Susie on HBO Max. Have you heard of I Hate Susie? I've heard of it, but I, I, have, I have not watched it myself. Yeah, it stars um, Billy Piper, who people may know from like Penny Dreadful or Diary of a Call Girl. And she plays like this actress that's famous, but not really famous, but like famous enough who her whole world sort of unravels one day when like a hacker gets into her phone and like leaks these sort of compromising photos of her with another man. She's married. It's like this serious but fun eight-part series. And each episode is named after the stages of grief. I don't know. I highly recommend it. I'm an anxious person and I felt like you could feel the sort of anxiety off the screen. So that's what I've been watching. How about you? Well, I... Uh... This, it's almost a little embarrassing for me to say this. I watched the motion picture Tenant, which had not, you know, it came out like in August. It, it, it has been out for, it's been available for quite a long time, but I had never watched it because I, it didn't actually open in movie theaters in Los Angeles because theaters haven't been open. And so I finally just sort of was like, I've been waiting for optimal conditions. And then I just gave in to the fact that there will be no optimal conditions. So I just watched the movie and I actually really kind of loved it. Like it was a very enjoyable sort of like spy espionage movie with, you know, John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, and then the storytelling of it, the way it moves, you know, kind of backwards and forwards in time at the same time was actually very pandemic appropriate because it was like, is it August? Is it January? Is it May? I don't know. Does it matter? Who knows? And then it's also you know, in practical nuts and bolts terms, the craft of the movie was just astonishing. Like, it definitely made me nostalgic and sad for, like, I wish that I could see this at, like, the Chinese theater, you know, the biggest, loudest screen in Los Angeles. But just watching it at home, I still had a great experience with it. And I think, you know, it definitely should be getting considered for craft nominations and things like that for, you know, award season. And, and so I was... A little regretful I hadn't seen it sooner, but I was super happy to have finally caught up with Tenet, and I, I would uh, recommend it to, to most anybody, with the one caveat that I did cheat. The very first time I watched it, I watched with the subtitles on, and I think that that helps with the sort of Christopher Nolan like sound issues that sometimes you can't quite make out the dialogue, but it kind of like, you miss stuff, you don't miss stuff, it doesn't really matter that much, so I would recommend Tenet. 
Well, I was going to ask, how did you watch it? Were you one of those people that tried to stick it to the man and watched it on your phone or tablet or like full screen experience? The long story is that I have plans to sort of upgrade my home viewing system. So I actually had bought the 4K disc of Tenet and I was going to like basically have it be the the inaugural viewing on a new like system, but that sort of has been delayed, et cetera, et cetera. It's boring. And so I just, I watched it on a Blu-ray, but on like, you know, my regular TV, which isn't huge, but good enough. And so it was, it was a good experience. Like, but it's, it's a very, it's obviously impeccably well-made. The cast is all beautiful in amazing, beautiful clothes. They're in these incredible locations all around the world and India and Eastern Europe and London. Like it's so it's like it's a just a fun, beautiful movie to just look at. The way you talk about Tenet is the way I talk about Real Housewives of Salt Lake City with the same sort of enthusiasm. The clothes, the locations. The sprawling setting, the cinematography, it's there for me too. It's really another missed opportunity this year that Sundance isn't in Park City because I feel like the synergy of the Housewives of Salt Lake City with Sundance would have been so exciting. And you know something weird would have happened at Park City like with the women or people would be making these weird pilgrimages from Park City, you know, you fly out of the Salt Lake City Airport, so maybe you'd be trying to go to some of the locations from the show, like coming and going from the from the airport. So it's hopefully there's still at least a little bit of shine on the show a year from now. Hopefully a year from now we go to Sundance like regular people and we can still have a, a little moment for them. I like the way you think, Mark, because now you're open to the idea of checking it out a little bit. That's all I ask. The Real Housewives? Yeah. I mean, I haven't I haven't quite gotten there yet. Op- open to the idea. Housewives curious. Baby steps, baby steps. And so now... Uh, anyway. Yvonne, you're going to be taking the lead again on next week's episode. Who are you going to be talking to? Well, next week I get to chat with Josh O'Connor, who plays Prince Charles on The Crown. And if you've watched the latest season of The Crown... You might agree with some people that the portrait of Prince Charles we get is somewhat despicable. And it's caused a lot of controversy. It's the reason why the culture of secretary felt like there should be warnings because Prince Charles has sort of rehabilitated his image. And the depiction we get in season four, he's not hes not a very cool dude. So we have that coming up. And here's a little bit of that conversation. You know, I loved at the end of season three, you know, people's response was, you made us fall in love with Prince Charles. And and that was my aim then. So I was really proud that we managed to do that. And then season four, the whole point was to kind of strip it all back and, and do something really interesting. And, and I feel like we have. And the response has been unbelievable. And I've had such unbelievable notes from people and, you know, all over the world who just, yeah, I'm just really touched and really honoured. Come back next Wednesday for that conversation with Yvonne and Josh. The Envelope, the podcast, is hosted by me, Mark Olson, and my colleague Yvonne Villarreal. Our producer is Shannon Lynn, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our audio engineer is Mike Heflin, and he also made our theme song. If you like The Envelope, the podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a five-star review on Apple. The Envelope is created by the journalists of the LA Times, 
And right now, access to facts has never been more important. And The Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Thanks for listening and see you next week.